listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Integra X-Files, a place where we'll explore and solve for the X factor that will help reshape the future of long-term care pharmacy. Join us to discuss topics and insights that will help you discover ways to grow your pharmacy, stay up to date on important legislative and regulatory issues, learn best practices for operating a profitable pharmacy business, and unlock the mysteries of technology. Welcome to the Integra X-Files. I'm Ed Vest, the Director of Pharmacy Professional Affairs for Red Cell Technologies. Today, we're gonna to talk about the medical at home model, something that's been getting a lot of attention uh, from various aspects of pharmacy. Susan's gonna update us on a lot of what's going on there. Um, we're gonna talk about what the medical at home model is, what the pharmacy requirements are, and what the patient requirements are. Uh, so I'm excited. This is part one of part two. Uh, part two, we're going to get into how to actually implement the medical at home model in your pharmacy. Uh, I'd like to introduce our guest, uh, Susan Rodas. Susan, tell us a little bit uh, about your background. Thanks, Ed. Uh, I'm Susan Rodas. I'm the Senior Vice President of Contracts and Advocacy for GeriMed. Um, I am a pharmacist by trade. I've been in pharmacy for a long time. Um, I've been at GeriMed for 32 years and been working here helping independent pharmacists and pharmacies um, become profitable and to be able to take care of all of the patients out there in long-term care um, during the 32 years. So like Susan, I, I am a pharmacist, uh, a long time in long-term care. I've spent about 30 years working in long-term care, everything from a consultant pharmacist to an operations manager. So. Uh, this is a, a topic of special interest to me because I feel like it's something where we see all aspects of pharmacy migrating towards a center uh, concept of a medical at home. Uh, it's very much LTC oriented, but it's also community oriented. Uh, Susan, I know you and I had talked about there's a lot of confusion about what long-term care is, that a lot of pharmacies are actually providing long-term care and don't recognize it and take credit for it. Yeah, they. it is, people traditionally think about long-term care as being nursing homes or skilled nursing facilities. And it really is not just skilled nursing facilities. That is a huge part of it and it's a very important piece of it. But long-term care has, has migrated to include a lot of other facilities. And with the growing population that we see from baby boomers, it's extremely important that it's not just long-term care, nursing homes, but it is also including things like assisted living, personal care homes, residential facilities, group homes for the elderly. All of those are defined at the state level. Um, if you go to your state registry, you can actually see exactly what they license. Um, usually the public health website has that type of information for you to review. Um, in addition to that, you have patients that are taken care of for intellectually developmentally disabled, and you have people in group homes as well as institutions. The institutions are going away. Um, the government, I think it's actually a wise decision, has said we don't want these people living their entire lives in an institution, so we want them to be living in a place that's more like home. So they've moved them to group homes that average about five or six 
people per facility or per home. It's not, again, not a facility, it's considered their home. Um, so that's become a bigger deal for a lot of people out there. Um, and that's really a good thing because you have somebody being taken care of more on an on, on at-home level. And then what our topic is today is medical at home. So you have a lot of patients who either can't or don't want to move into a nursing home, mm -hmm. but they have the qualifications that would put them in a nursing home if they were, um, you know, they're qualified to be in a nursing home, but they either can't or they don't want to be there or they don't want to be in an, even in assisted living. Assisted living is not cheap. It's thousands of dollars a year. Um, and there's a lot of people who can't afford that. There are some states that allow Medicaid to pay for assisted living, but that's not every state. So you're looking more for uh, places where somebody can actually get taken care of and have that, that care in their home versus um, getting taken care of in an assisted living or other type of facility. I always say to people, well, you know, the food's a lot better at home than it is in assisted living or a nursing home. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, during all my years of uh, doing consultant work, I can remember that, you know, we we're supposed to provide a home-like environment for uh, the residents, and yet uh, they're in this institution with, uh, you know, anywhere from 40 to 60 patients on the wing, and uh, it's uh, it's definitely not a home-like environment, and in the medical at home, uh, I, I think it's a great idea. I think uh, the patients, the families, and and the caregivers, I think we all do better when when we're working together in a smaller environment, a more intimate environment. Yeah, and um, it's it's interesting too that COVID has kind of made this more aware for people. Yeah. Um, people are actually recognizing that there's a lot of people that are are not able to get out of their home. Uh, they, to be called homebound. And um, there's a study that was done in, with data from 2011, which is a really long time ago now. Yeah. Um, it was printed in 2015 in JAMA. Um, but there's also an update to that, that when they found out people were staying at home because of COVID, those numbers went up beyond 5 million. We think that's probably down more closer to 3 million. Um, but these are patients, again, that are at an institutional level. They're not patients that you would see um, going to, you know, Walgreens or CVS or the local independent pharmacy and driving their car and going there. That is not the patients that we're talking about. We're talking about people who cannot get out of their home on their own, um, which is an important piece of taking a look at these people. Uh, along those lines with COVID, I had the opportunity to go into uh, several patients' homes and, and give them their COVID vaccine. So, uh, the families greatly appreciated that because they didn't know how they were going to do it otherwise. Um, so that's a good thing. I know that uh, with this model, uh, there's a new coalition that's formed. And uh, give us a, just a little bit of background on the coalition, what the mission is there before we really dive deep into what's going on. So the coalition was started several months ago. Um, it was started by ASCP, which is the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, NCPA, which is the National Community Pharmacy Association, and SCPC, which is the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. All three of them are pharmacy organizations that represent long-term care pharmacies. And the idea behind putting the coalition together is to design something that can go to legislation and to rulemaking with CMS to help define what this type of service is and what the gain is from doing this service. 
I think demonstrating the um, savings to the Medicare, basically Medicare or other insurance companies costs is extremely important. I mean, Medicare is, as we know, is in trouble financially. Don't know when, but we know it is in trouble. So the idea that they can actually save money for the system is a huge deal. And demonstrating that to the insurance companies to get them to pay for the services that the pharmacies can bring, whether it's through the dispensing, which we think is super important, but as well as other clinical services that they can offer to their patients. And I say clinical and everybody kind of gets bent out of shape because CMS doesn't pay for clinical services, but they're just as important as the dispensing piece of this. Um, they're things like you know medication reconciliation, uh, medication management, doing a drug regimen review like you do in a nursing home. All of those things are super important to make sure that that patient is receiving the therapy that they really need and the one that's going to make them have a better quality of life and keep them out of the hospital as much as possible. So we talked a little bit about long-term care and the definition. So for the medical at home patient, I knew this this would be someone that that we're trying to keep out of the long-term care facility. And I heard you speak a couple of weeks ago at NCPA, and you did a great job on differentiating between the patient needs the, the medical at home model and when the family wants the medical at home model. I thought that was a great uh, comparison that you did there. So, you know, it's it's to me that number one, there's no easy button with this. And if anybody thinks there's an easy button that you need to press and instantaneously, all you're going to do is fill a special packaging and take it to the patient and with your driver and you're done and hand a little white bag to them. That's not what this is about. And this is not to be taking, you know, for every patient that's out there that's a Medicare patient. So it's not for the 40 some million million people that are receiving Medicare benefits. It's different than that. It is for, it's not for Joe Smith who lives in Florida and drives his golf cart and he wants to go get special packaging because it makes his life easier. He doesn't feel like driving to ABC pharmacy down the street. Every day he'd rather go golfing instead of waiting in line to get his prescriptions. And so he decides to go with PillPack or Amazon or whatever you want to call them and get his strip packaging because it makes his life easier that is the type of person that is not qualified to receive this. And again, I say not because I think you need to make sure that people understand you cannot do this service for someone who is able-bodied and able to go to, to the, get their prescriptions and able to make sure that they take their medications themselves on their own. This is for people who need, have a need for um, these special packaging and for the special services that the pharmacy can provide. Um, these people are more like uh, patients that are homebound. It doesn't mean they have to non-ambulate because I think people get confused by that. Some, not somebody has to be in a bed. Um, it can be somebody who can ambulate, but they cannot do all the things that they need to do. They can't go to the doctor on their own. They can't drive to the pharmacy to pick up their prescriptions. They can't, um, you know, they don't go anywhere unless somebody assists them to get there. Um, and then we talk about ADLs. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, talking about ADLs. And, and what is an ADL? It's activities of daily living. It is actually the definition that is used in um, every state to determine whether somebody qualifies to go into a nursing home. Unfortunately, there's no national definition for when someone goes in a nursing home. It is by state by state. So everybody's a little bit different. 
but most of them are two or more ADLs that you need assistance with. And, and you're thinking about activities of daily living or things like ambulating, toileting, feeding, um, personal hygiene, getting dressed in the morning, continence, all those things are activities of daily living. So those are important. And as well as instrumental activities of daily living or IADLs, which again is probably more important on the side of what we're talking about. Um, so you're talking about somebody who cannot go and get go to shopping and get transportation. Um, they have a problem managing their finances, whether that's from cognition or they're just not able to do it on their own. Um, they're not able to do meal preparation. So yeah, maybe they can eat on their own, but they can't make a meal. I mean, something like a meal on wheels is, is an indicator that somebody needs assistance with food. Um, so if you know that a particular patient of yours is getting meals on wheels, that would be something that indicated to you that they have a problem. Make sure you check with them because there are some people out there who, um, you know, may need, may be getting meals on wheels, but doesn't, don't have to have it. Again, it's a convenience versus having a need for it. Um, but things, in, you know, the most important one on here is probably managing their medications. So obtaining their medications, we talked about driving to the pharmacy and taking them appropriately. I mean, someone who's taking more than about five medications a day is probably having a difficulty taking that if they're in one of these patients that has another ADL that they're having a problem with. You know, organizing it in one of the pill things weekly is challenging at best for these people. Um, it's something that you can provide in, in special packaging to make it easier for that patient to take their medications. Um, and there's actually now machines out that allow you to, that will spit the medications out on a timely basis and allows the family members as well as the pharmacists and even their physicians to know that they've taken their medication. Now, do you know that they open the package and take the medication? Don't, but you can you can say that if they're tearing it off and, and taking it and off of there, that they're probably taking the medication. Again, making sure somebody's checking on them to see, to make sure that they're really taking their medication is really important. You know, other things like managing communications like telephone and mail. I mean, people think, well, if you're over 80 years old, you're probably not on the internet and you're probably not doing email. That's not true. Yeah. Uh, my mother-in-law was 89 when she passed away and she was doing email. So there's no reason to think that somebody who's older is not doing that. And as people, the baby boomers get older, they're already doing a lot of cell phones and um, computers and email and, and texting and all of those type of things. So don't think that people, just because they're old, they're not computer literate. Some of them are and some of them aren't. So one of the things you mentioned was if you've got a patient that's on meals, uh, getting the meals on wheels service, that that would be a good indicator if I'm a pharmacy that's thinking about uh, going into this uh, service, where would I look for my patients? Because, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're providing a service that's needed before you know, we don't want to go through the process and then find out, well, there's nobody uh, around that needs it. So where would you go start looking for the patients? So it's really, it's to me, independent pharmacists in the community are ideal for this because you know a lot of people in your area, whether you go to church with them, whether there are people coming to your pharmacy, whether you are 
um, talking to these physicians all the time. A lot of referrals come directly from physicians. Physicians know, you know, the Mrs. Jones comes in here and she says she's taking her Lasix, but she keeps having to increase her Lasix. You have no idea whether she's really taking it or not. So checking with physicians in your area, they're going to know their problem patients that they're having issues with. So they're a great source of getting um, referrals to you to say, hey, this would be a great service to provide to this person. Maybe they've been admitted to the hospital three or four times in a year from things like congestive heart failure or diabetes or COPD. There's somebody who they're not sure they're really taking their medications correctly. I mean, adherence is the biggest thing that pharmacies bring to this, adherence and making sure you're taking your medications correctly. So anything you can do to talk to those physicians out there is really important. Um, the other thing is family members or home health care agencies refer them to you. If you get home health care agencies in your area, get in touch with them and say, hey, we know, you know, somebody who may be released from the hospital and you're seeing them for a couple of weeks because they fell and broke their hip are probably not somebody that's qualified for a medical or home service, but they're going to have some patients that they're seeing forever. And those are the patients that you really want to have referred to you because they know they have, again, have issues with those type of patients. Um, and then patients receiving care under home and community-based waivers are extremely important um, because technically how the waivers are set up is the Medicaid actually pays the providers the same way they pay them if they're in a nursing home. So they're sending nursing services, occupational therapy, physical therapy, diet, you know, nutritionists, dietitians, all of those type of people are going in there to take care of these people and they've already qualified them. They're the easiest ones to get on a program like this. Mm -hmm. If you know they're on a home and community-based waiver, you don't have to do any qualifications. They're already qualified. Um, and then there's a couple of demonstration projects and um, patients who participate in Medicaid, uh, manage Medicaid programs. That's another extremely important piece, keeping in mind that both Medicare Advantage and managed Medicaid patients have the entire bill for insurance is paid for by the government. And so again, if they're going in the hospital a lot, or, you know, I, I always picture in my brain, you got an 85 year old lady who lives alone, her family members live hundreds of miles away, and when she gets sick, she has no way of getting to the doctor. So she calls 911, his ambulance come and get her and take her to the ER. You know, maybe she just has a cold or a sinus infection, but she has no other way of getting there. And so she's somebody who would be doing that and causing the system to pay a lot of money for something, a care that they really don't need because they're not that sick, but they need it because they have no other way of getting that care. Um, so that's the kind, you know, those kind of people are people you really want to take a look at. Oh. Uh, and yeah, let me add one more because we have we have a pharmacy that's actually in Philadelphia and uh, they actually get a lot of their referrals from their um, hospital system and for uh, from their ACO that's in the area. Now, ACOs aren't everywhere, but if they're there, accountable care organizations is ACO. I always try to make sure I define what those are. Um, those people are someone who really can assist you because again, they're responsible for the entire care for that patient and they don't want people coming back into the hospital um, when they don't have to because that's more dollars out of their pocket. So um, if you can kind of keep that in mind that that's what's really important for these patients, um, 
that you really need to look in varieties of areas where you know someone's being taken care of by either the insurance company or by a home and community-based waiver, um, a home care agency. Again, I think all of those places are real important places to look for patients. I, I like the fact that you missed, mentioned the hospital discharge planners because I think, uh, again, going back to the decades in long-term care, the transitions of care from the acute care environment to a home care or even a skilled nursing facility was always difficult in, in that communication. But now with the way that they're trying to keep patients well and not be readmitted, I think the hospital discharge planners are, have a new incentive or a new mission to make sure that, that that transition is smooth. And if we've got a pharmacist to pharmacy uh, that is willing to provide those LTC services at home to that patient, then that's going to uh, increase the uh, success rate and decrease the readmission rate for that hospital and, and the patient. And, and even in, like you talked about with skilled facilities, I mean, it's written in the Medicare Part D rule that they have to pay for transitions of care because they're thinking about somebody who is in a nursing home and they get discharged. Um, the day of discharge is not paid for by Medicare Part A. So a lot of people are worried that if they build the patient on that day that they're actually double billing, they're not because the day of discharge, there is no payment to the facility. So you can literally bill them as a patient under Medicare Part D in that facility. So you can bill them as a skilled nursing home patient. And then once they're out, that, that would be for 14 days if they're taking any brand medication because they're still on the um, short cycle fill method of doing that. But once they're out of that facility, then they can uh, continue on a program to do medical at home, which would turn into 30 days instead of 14 days. But it would be something that you could provide to those patients who may not be able to get, you know, they may not have somebody to get them their medications for several days. And now you're right back into the cycle we've been talking about saying, oh, great, Mrs. Jones just missed her Lasix for three days, and I keep bringing up Lasix, but it's a good example. Lasix for three days, now she's back in the hospital because her congestive heart failure is worse because she didn't get the medications when she left the facility. So I think that Medicare Part D actually recognized that when they wrote the rules. I mean, this has been in the rules since 2006 when it started. So I think it's an important piece that sometimes we forget about, um, but that's something, you know, even if the patient isn't your your patient in a skilled facility. If you went to that facility and said, hey, we got this great service we can offer to make sure your patients receive the medications that they need when they're in transition, maybe the regular long-term care pharmacy doesn't want to do it or isn't capable of doing it. Um, and that's true of the large providers like Anomaly Care for America. I'm not sure how successful they've been in doing those type of programs. Go in there and say, hey, I'd like to start doing a special program to make sure that the patients who don't have a mechanism of picking those medications up are able to get those at the facility. And you just deliver them to the facility, usually the day of discharge or even the day before, making sure you date it as, as the date of discharge. Okay. So we're, we're talking primarily to pharmacists right now. So that they, they get all this. They're saying, yes, we can do this. We can do this. So when you're talking to a family member, somebody who is not intimately involved. So from a higher view, how do you describe the strategic importance of 
the medical at home model? So, you know, again, the biggest deal is you've got baby boomers getting older. You're, we're going to have the highest population of people over 80 years old in the year 2040. I mean, that is just remarkable that it's going to increase basically almost threefold by that time. There's not enough room for these people to go into nursing homes. And the majority of people in a nursing home are over the age of 85. I think the, it's the average age is about 85. You do have younger people in there, for, but primarily you're taking care of older people on that side of, of the business. And including even assisted living, you're going to see people who are in their 80s. People don't go into an assisted living facility that are in their 60s and 70s. They just don't. That doesn't happen. And so when you when you think about people that are, are out there and you think about the growing population, I mean, this is an ideal time to get involved in this because you see all of these people out there. And to me, making sure that as a family member, you know, making sure you take care of your mom or dad or aunt or uncle or whoever it is that you're trying to take care of, you want to make sure that they get the best care that they can get. And again, if they can stay in their home, that makes it even better than, than having them have to go to a facility. Um, the other thing is, is in normal, when you look at people out there in the, in the real world, um, the average prescriptions that get filled are somewhere between five and six per year. That's the average adherence for most prescriptions. I know pharmacists have been better about helping with that that um, number and making it higher. But when we took a look at the pharmacies that we deal with, um, the average was 12. I mean, so you're talking, you know, 95% fill rate for these patients. And so they're getting their medications every month the way that they're supposed to. They're not having to worry about, oh, wait, oops, I forgot to fill that drug. And, oh, I'm not taking it for several days. They're getting it every time that they're supposed to get it. Um, I actually talked to one of the drug representatives for a, a drug that was for hypertension. And he said, our biggest deal is to get people to understand they need to take this for life. People think they need to take it for 30 days and they're cured, kind of like an antibiotic. Yeah. So it's really important that people understand that if you're taking a, a specific drug for a, a chronic condition, that you can't just stop that medication and not take it anymore. So that's really important. And I can see where people would think that, that they would say, oh, well, you know, this drug is good for a month and I'm done. I don't need any refills. There's refills on here, but I don't have to do it. So I think it's really important that people understand that this is a great way to make sure that people are literally taking their medication the way they're supposed to. Um, and, and it's been a trend that shows that if it's affiliated, people are affiliated with a pharmacy and the pharmacy is helping them that there's a decrease in hospitalization and, and um, ER visits. And that's something that we really are trying to uh, quantify versus, you know, and, and quality, both quality and quantity, as far as making sure that people understand how important this piece is. Um, there's not a lot of data from studies that is out there today, and that's part of what that coalition is trying to do is to get that data together to demonstrate that if a pharmacy and pharmacists are involved in the care of these patients, that they um, decrease those hospitalizations and, and emergency room visits. And, you know, if you look at people that are taking care of in nursing homes, there's a study that was just done and published in the national statistics that actually shows like 70.5% are covered by a nursing home, which is kind of an erroneous number. It's a survey that gets filled out by long-term care providers. And I think they filled it out incorrectly because they're thinking that they have to have a pharmacy at the facility. Mm. Um, there's hardly any people out there that have pharmacies at facilities. Their facilities 
are covered by law saying they have to have a pharmacy taking care of them. Um, so that's kind of a silly notion. But if you look at the at home health care, which is the biggest place that we really can see what the benefit of this is, it's only about 5%. So if there's 5% of these home health care agencies actually work with a pharmacy, that's a tiny amount. And again, it's not the entire population, but it's definitely, you know, a piece of that business. So what uh, CMS has gotten involved in this and in a positive way. So I'm happy there. So what are some of the criteria that they are going to expect um, from that medical at home uh, pharmacy? So in, we have been working um, and by we and NCPA and, and, um, and Jerry and Matt have been working a lot together on trying to get CMS to come out with along with other people, there have been other people out there talking to CMS too, about getting them to recognize that medical at home, that it doesn't matter where the patient lives. It's the services that are provided by the pharmacy that matter. Um, back in about um, 2011, I believe, they came out and said, okay, people who live in assisted living and congregate facilities, that whatever the definition of congregate facilities are, those people um, can get paid at a higher rate if they're providing services equivalent to what you do in an institution, which I'll talk about here in a minute. So in December 15th of 21, so just you know, less than a year ago, CMS came out and said, okay, we told you it was okay for assisted living and congregate facilities to pay them at a higher rate. Oh, now we're going to tell you it's okay for people at home. So they basically said to the, the insurance plans that we're willing to tell you that it's okay to pay you. We can't tell you you have to because Medicare Part D is not negotiated um, by CMS. They can't get involved in rates and in all of those fees. It has to be done between the pharmacies and the plans and the PBMs, um, which, you know, if you belong to a PSAO, you would have that negotiation going on. Um, but they did say that you can pay for it. And it, and it's kind of interesting since that letter has come out that the, the PBMs are actually more interested in talking about this. In 2019, uh, we first proposed this to some people out there and they didn't want anything to do with it at all. They did not want to talk about it. Basically, the answer was no. Um, but since that letter came out and since COVID, I think they are recognizing that this is an important piece out there. So it, it, this only applies to pharmacies that are qualified as a long-term care pharmacy. So what does that mean? Well, you need to be able to do the 10 criteria that's provided by CMS, which include um, comprehensive inventory and inventory capacity. So that's, what does that mean? Well, if you're talking about long-term care, there may be things that you need to stock in your pharmacy that you normally don't stock. Things like liquid medications, injectable medications that you normally would not dispense out of a community pharmacy. Um, you need to have pharmacy operations and prescription orders, pharmacy operations, having policies and procedures on how you do them, have special ways that you're setting up to make sure you get deliveries to people, all of those type of things that need to happen. Um, prescription orders, you know, again, if you're in a nursing home, you can do chart orders. If you're talking about anybody else, you gotta have prescriptions. Um, but you need to have a mechanism to get those, whether it's through electronic prescribing or it's through real prescriptions. Uh, special packaging, this is probably a really important one to make sure that you know that you have to do. You cannot dispense this as vials. 
Okay, if you're taking vials <clears throat> to somebody's house that is not medical at home, that's called retail. That's delivering just like you would do in your regular pharmacy and it does not qualify. And that's regardless of what's where you're talking about for long-term care. Um, you have to deliver it as special packaging, regardless of whether or not the facility wants it or not. I mean, if facilities want vials, they really don't know what they're doing, especially today with all the short staffing out there. They need to understand that by doing special packaging and whether it's a pouch packaging or whether it's a dispill type packaging or it's being it's a bingo card or punch card, it doesn't matter what system you use. Um, do the one that's the one that works for the patient and works for you um, and making sure that they can get it out there. Pouch packaging is probably the best one for patients because you can put a time on there and make sure that they're receiving it at the right time or a disco packaging where they're taking all the pills at one time at a certain time. Um, but special packaging is probably the most important on there. IV medications. Well, I have a lot of people say, well, I don't have a hood in my pharmacy. I can't do IV medications. Well, CMS actually has in the rule for Medicare that you do not have to do it on your own. You can subcontract with someone to provide IV medications if they're needed. Um, um, my advice is to go to your local hospital. You probably have a rural hospital, even if you're in a rural area that you could go to that makes IVs and do a subcontract with them, have that contract on file. And so now when you have that contract on file, you can literally um, provide an IV if you need it. If you're doing medical at home or you're doing assisted living or group homes, you're probably not going to need an IV, but you have that sitting there that if CMS ever audited you or one of the PBMs audited you, you can say, yes, I can get IVs because I have a subcontract with someone. Yeah. Um, compounding and alternate forms of drug composition. Again, if you don't do complex compounding, find a, a pharmacy that does complex compounding and subcontract with them. Um, or a lot of these are pretty easy things. People will mix ointments or creams together for a particular patient. It's not very difficult to do. Um, but, you know, either way, however you want to do it is fine. Pharmacists on call services is another one that people say a lot of times that they can't provide because they don't have anyone to take call. Um, if I had a pharmacy that was a community pharmacy, I'd probably have pharmacists rotate to answer the phone again. Um, we had someone that talked at the NCPA meeting and she said she gets a call a month. Some of them are just going to be questions, especially if you're doing medical at home. They may be a question that they ask you on the phone and they're really not, you know, wanting you to go out there and bring a medication to them. But there are services available. There's um, care services. There's a couple other services out there that will provide you with middle of the night delivery. They'll contract with a 24 hour pharmacy who can provide that medication or if you're far away from, let's say it's 50 miles that you have to take something to, but there's another local community pharmacy in the area that's willing to help you out and do something like that for you in the middle of the night, you can subcontract with another pharmacy as well. Um, and you pay them, you're going to pay them extra money to do that, but that's part of the services that you're providing. Um, the emergency or delivery service, of course, you have to deliver the medication to the, to the patient. I have people ask me all the time, can you mail it to them? I would say for most of your patients, you don't want to do that. Don't ever tell anyone you are a mail order pharmacy because you're not. You have to do this in 30 days or less. You cannot do 90 days like a mail order. Um, but the, at the same time, you really cannot, um, you don't want to do that as a regular basis. If you have to do it, you know, for someone who's far away, that's fine. 
Just make sure you document what you're doing. Make sure you do all the other services you're doing for that patient. You're not pill packed that you're just mailing a prescription and that's all you're doing. Um, emergency boxes and log books, that's really only for skilled facilities. There are a few states that make you do it for assisted living, um, but that's primarily in skilled and that's actually off the table um, for medical at home. You do not have to do emergency boxes. I can't imagine putting drugs into somebody's home. That would be yeah. horrible. And then miscellaneous reports, forms, and prescription ordering supplies. There's different things that you could provide to the patient. Maybe you provide them with a list of drugs that they're taking so they could use that to take to their doctor. Um, there's different things that you can do to make sure that that patient gets the information that they need. So with this, uh, some of the other things that, that somebody ought to be thinking forward, you know, uh, and this, this would be either a closed door long-term care pharmacy that's used to taking care of facilities only, but also uh, for the community pharmacy who's never done some of this stuff, they're, they're listening to this. So what are some of the additional services that that pharmacy is going to be expected to provide? So, I mean, that's a key piece to this um, is you've got, you've got to be able to do some of these. You don't have to do every one of them, but you need to be doing things like medication reconciliation, especially if you're talking about transitions of care, it's extremely important. Those drugs that are in the hospitals are usually wrong. Um, I, you know, statins is a good one to take a look at. They probably have one statin that they administer to everybody in the, in the hospital when you're in there, and the patient could be taking a different statin at home. Um, again, my father was a, a good example of this. He was taking simvastatin at home. They put him on a torvastatin in the facility. They wrote a prescription for a torvastatin and gave it to him. You know, he knew he had a pharmacist as his daughter, so he picked up the phone and called me. But most people don't have that right. out there. So reconciliation to make sure somebody's not taking duplicate therapy or taking therapy that their physician really doesn't want them on. You know, again, hospitals do all kinds of crazy things while they're in there. So that's super important. Um, synchronization of your medications to make sure you deliver all their medications at one time. That's really important if you're doing pouches or dispill because you want to make sure all the drugs are in there at one time. Um, medication management, it's including talking to caregivers or their patient, depending on their cognitive ability to be able to, to comprehend the information you're talking about them with. And talking about the, to their prescribers is probably even more important. A lot of these people may have four or five different uh, doctors that they're seeing or nurse practitioners that they're seeing. So make sure you talk to them so they're all on the same page. You're basically, the pharmacist becomes a gatekeeper for all of this because you know all the drugs that they're taking versus, you know, the cardiologist may have no idea on what other drugs somebody's taking. So I think it's really important that the pharmacist is involved and talks to them on at least a monthly basis, maybe more often if you have a more fragile type patients. Medication therapy management reviews, that's like drug regimen reviews you do in the in the nursing home. You know, you're going to find more than likely you're going to discontinue a lot of those medications just because they're duplicate therapy or they're taking a drug to end up, you know, decreasing a, a symptom that is coming from another drug. So it's really important to go over those. As you know, Ed, consultant pharmacists probably deprescribe more than they do anything else. Exactly. And then. Um, you know, just those type of things being clinical at what you do is probably the most important and making sure patients are taking their medications. I mean, you know, if Mrs. Jones just thinks that the red pill makes her sick to their stomach every day, then 
maybe you need to change it to a blue pill. You know, I mean, whether it's changing a, a complete drug or maybe you buy a different uh, brand of that particular drug, it's amazing to think that a lot of people in their minds, you know, the, the blue pill is much better than the red one. So, so uh, all those years of uh, doing consultant work and having to watch nurses do med pass observations, that, that always frustrated me a little bit because uh, I didn't feel like I, I needed to be doing that until I watched some nurses do med, pass, uh, med passes and I observed them with some very poor technique. And as you were talking, I'm sitting here thinking uh, that might not be a bad thing to include in our med in, when we go into the home to do the medication review, the medication therapy management. Do they know how to use their inhaler if they've got one? Uh, and you know, sometimes maybe we need to switch, uh, make a recommendation that uh, the physicians change a med. So that's that's good information. That's something else that some of our, our pharmacies are doing. They'll have a pharmacy technician go in there um, even before they start the service and literally clean out all their medications from their home that they don't need to take. Um, I always use an example when I was in pharmacy school. That was one thing we learned how to do brown bags. I'm sure you did that too, Ed, yeah. where you literally get to, went through all the medications to figure it out. And I found a, a tube. Well, it wasn't any ointment and it was an empty tube that was in my mom and my mom's cabinet where she kept all her medication that was from when I was a baby. So here I'm, you know, like 22 years old and she had this from when I was tiny. What was interesting is it didn't even have the drug name on it and it said on their use as needed. And there was literally the tube was empty because it had evaporated. <laughs> so I think it's important to make sure that you clean all that out and sending a pharmacy technician to the to that patient's home who's been trained on understanding how to go through those medications isn't a bad idea. Um, you, you potentially may need to send a pharmacist in there, but probably not. You could send a technician to go through the medications that that patient's taking. So, uh, we're running short on time, so I want to hit a couple of items and encourage everyone to dial in for part two, because Susan's going to drill into how you get started on that. But first, in my pharmacy, I've listened to this and I'm, I'm thinking that I want to do this. So how do you determine if I can service my patients? I've identified some patients. What are the criteria or what are those things that I need to look at? to determine if I can service them as an LTC pharmacy providing medical at home services. So it's, again, you have to be recognized as a long-term care pharmacy. And so you need to set up a separate NCPDP and MPI number in order for you to be able to bill. Um, and I would highly recommend that you talk to a long-term care PSAO um, and discuss with them exactly how you would set that up and what you would do to get that done. Um, so that's an important piece to make this work. Um, at the same time, if you're doing long-term care, there's an opportunity to get some discounts on some brand products because of class of trade discounts. Um, so talk about that as well. But it, the, the real big piece is the reimbursement. That's really where you're going to see some savings in there. There is, and we'll talk about this in the second part, but there really is not any, um, long-term care reimbursement for medical at home today. That's what the PSAOs are working on. That's what we're trying to achieve with the PBMs is really to get them to understand this is long-term care and to pay at an acceptable rate. But there are some idiosyncrasies with that that can save you some money, um, can save you some DIR fees, 
that's something that really you need to take a look at and, and see where the future is at. Um, I think people go, well, do you really think this is going to happen? Um, I do, because you don't have any other place for these people to go. And I don't think people want them to be taken care of inappropriately, whether you're CMS, the insurance company, you know, whoever you are, you want them to be taken care of because you don't want the high cost of the, of not taking care of them. I guess it's the bottom line. So, I mean, I think it's really, really important that we really take a look at this from that perspective, that it's going to happen. And there's some ways that we can talk about it in our second um, one on exactly what happens when you decide to take care of these patients and you're set up as a long-term care pharmacy. So I, I took some notes as, as you were talking, and this is, we'll, we'll wrap up with this one, is why are medical at home LTC pharmacy services important? You've mentioned these before, but I think it, it's great to, to go over, you know, I, I wrote down adherence. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing right there. I mean, if you look at patients, what's the biggest reason, you know, we, I think there's, I want to say $300 billion a year is paid on people are paid out for care on people who do not take their medications incorrectly. And that, and that's taking them wrong, not taking them, taking too much, um, taking them at the wrong time. All of those things cause people to go in the hospital and $300 billion is a lot of money. So if there's a way that we can decrease those costs and we can provide quality care, that's a huge deal right there. Uh, I, I think it's one of those cases where if uh, everybody will get out of their silo, and, and I'm talking about the policymakers and the payers, forget about the silo of prescriptions and, and uh, medical care and then hospitalization and realize that one impacts the other. Uh, for sure, I think it's been proven time and time again that pharmacists are the most cost-effective healthcare provider out there because we can prevent a lot of hospitalizations. Right. So... This was awesome. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to the next session. Um, you, you have any closing thoughts as we wrap up on why they, people should consider this? And then the next session, we'll talk about how. I just think, you know, do do due diligence. Take a look at what you're doing in your pharmacy. See if you have an opportunity to, you know, establish these type of patients. You probably have them already. You're probably thinking in your mind, oh, I know who these people are, but how you would set it up in your pharmacy. And we'll talk about that next time as far as how to do that, but kind of put that in your mind so that you realize what you need to do to, to really get this going. Thanks, Susan. It was a pleasure spending some time with you this morning, and I look forward to the next session. Thanks. I thank everyone for joining us for this episode of the Integra X-Files. Look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Integra X-Files. Subscribe today at IntegraXFiles.com and be entered to win a pair of Apple AirPods Max. Integra knows software is only part of running a successful long-term care pharmacy. Get easy access to thought-leading content on operations, growth, technology, and policy at IntegraXFiles.com. Giveaway entry period ends November 30th, 2022.